Packers, start your engines! Yellow's out, yellow's out. Panic just about out wrecking him. Benji busted in her. What is up, everybody? It is Thursday, November 4th. We are back with episode four. The green flag is out, and we are ready to roll three wide with DJG. All right, so to kick off today's episode, um, we're just going to give some All-American 400 post-race coverage. Um, what did you think about this year? I thought it was really good. I, I, There's a lot of rain, which is kind of, I'm glad we didn't go because there's enough we could have kept ourselves occupied sat, or Friday and Saturday, but... Um, all the racing was moved to Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that was like the big news of the weekend too. Yeah. Was that. But uh, definitely thought it was some really good racing. I, I definitely want to give a compliment on the pro late model race. I I, I was kind of on the edge of my seat for that one. That was pretty good. Um, but really all around good racing. Lots of clean racing, I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously people got caught up in some unfortunate things. People that we... Didn't want to see you get caught up in things. It is what it is. Right. Um, so to kick off uh, our uh, episode, we're going to start with the Vorce Compact Touring Series. Um, Tom Gosser won the feature, <clears throat> which, you know, we knew he was a contender. Uh, he had a really dominant car at Winchester. Um, the start of the race didn't seem to go his way, though. I mean, Kyle Frame really just took the lead and was able to hold him off. <clears throat> I, def- I want to say I think Kyle Frame 100% had the car to beat. Yeah. Kyle just got caught up in lap traffic at the wrong time, and it all played out in the end in Gosser's favor. But And then Gosser took the lead. I don't I don't remember, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he was really able to pull away once he got around Kyle. Maybe a little bit, but... Probably about <clears throat> one and a half car lengths. It wasn't anything... It know, wasn't like he just took off and left everybody. Right. But... So it was a good, pretty good battle going on there. I think without lap traffic, it would have been even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still a good race, right? Um, so Tom Gosser did take the lead with eleven laps to go, uh, as Jarrett said. After Kyle Frame got stuck up in some lap traffic, um, really unfortunate. I mean, like you said, he had the car to beat. Um, I personally think he should have won that race, and you know, it is what it is. Part of racing. Uh, your top five in that feature was Tom Gosser, Kyle Frame. Dylan, uh, Kalen, Justin Brown, and Chris Jennings. I will say, though, I'm glad he at least got it, was able to come home P2, yeah. especially after the weekend he had at Winchester. So it's good to see him to be able to turn around and, you know, get a podium out of it. For sure. Uh, our next feature will be the street stocks. Um, Brett Hudson was your pick, correct? Brett Hudson was my pick. Uh, no, false, false. Uh, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> Jason Atkinson yeah. was my pick. Right. Brett Hudson was one of my top three. Brett Hudson and Jeff Lang. Right. Um, so Brett Hudson did have a dominant race uh, and ultimately came home with the guitar. Uh, Jason Atkinson, on the other hand. I'm not totally sure what happened there. I don't know if he intentionally spun somebody and then ended up getting involved in it or if it was just a little bit of contact to a bumper to say, hey, I'm here, and the guy couldn't control it. I, I don't know. All yeah. I know is it was pretty early in the race. I mean, very yeah. early in the race. Yeah. Um, so it took uh, Jason out. Uh, I think it took the guy that he made contact with out as well, but I don't I remember. So. I don't remember who he made contact with. Um, other than that, pretty good race as well. 
Um, your top five in that feature was Brett Hudson, uh, Chuck Barnes Jr., Ken Schrader, who uh, made an appearance this year. Uh, so it's good to see, you know, former NASCAR drivers compete in, in you know, these big short track events. Uh, local Jeff Lane came home P4, and Chad Piddleton rounded out your top five. I will say, I did pretty good on my picks. Two out of my three came home in the top five, so. For sure. Not too bad. Uh, next, we're going to move on to the super late models. Chandler Smith, who I also I predicted would have an, a dominant car again. It came out exactly that. Super dominant car. Uh, late in the race, experienced to what seemed to be the same issues that he had at uh, Winchester. And he even, I even saw on social media, he was, as he should be, very upset about it. He was like, you know, this is the same issue we had at Winchester. But we, in between then and now, we went back and totally replaced all of that stuff. So to have the same issues, very frustrating, Yeah, and that was to a, say the least. Yeah, and I mean, that was a point I made to you when we were watching. I just don't understand. Of course, I don't know much about, you know, what teams do and stuff like that. But for <clears throat> a team as big as that one, for one car to have those issues, but not the other. But not the other, right. It's just, uh, I'm not saying there's like any ill intention there. It's just mm-hmm. odd to me that. You know, you think with issues like that, both cars would be experiencing that. Or you right. think that they'd be running the same thing. So why is issues happening to one car but not the other? Right. I don't know. I, I don't, you know, like I don't have any idea why, right. you know. I don't think it's a driver issue considering it's something electrical. Like I don't see how anything that the driver could do could translate to having an issue like that. But I'm also not a super late model driver, so I don't know. Right. Um. But anyway, his day it did end up. Uh, come, he did end up, uh, sorry, he did end up leaving the race early. Matt Craig, who made a last-minute decision to race, came home victorious, which is, I did not know that it was a last-minute decision to race. I didn't either until post-race, and then it was like, I guess he had just got, quote, uh, don't, don't hold me to this, I think he just got married and stuff like that, so it was kind of like, it wasn't something that they were going to do, and then I think it was his dad that told him, you know, hey, let's go race the All-American 400, and they, like, got there, set up, and it paid off for them. Dedication. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm going to give a compliment to his, I'm assuming, wife. He got married. I don't, I'm not, you know. But uh, if she allowed that to happen and wasn't upset about it, which I'm sure she wasn't upset after he won. So, right. You know, big props to her for that. Um, <clears throat> he won. The race by only a 0.365 second margin, holding off Jackson Boone and Derek Griffith. Top five were Matt Gregg, Jackson Boone, Derek Griffith, Carson Quapel, uh Will race with JRM. Mm-hmm. You got any? Um, I mean, it was kind of like not last minute news, but it, it's more recent. Um, I'm going to be honest. I, I've heard his name before, but mm-hmm. I, it's not somebody that I particularly follow so um don't know much about him other than he's obviously a good driver to be able to strike a deal with junior motorsports so Mm -hmm. uh, i think he'll be able to um continue doing the work that josh berry did you know prior to him moving up i think josh berry definitely shocked the world with this whole deal that he's got so yeah maybe we can have another one like that yeah i definitely think uh carson will be able to do a lot of good stuff with um junior motorsports uh I totally agree. So uh, congratulations to him on that deal. That's We love to see that. Uh, and rounding out the top five was Willie Allen. 
Next, we have the Pro Late models. This, I'm sorry, but this was my favorite race of the night. I have to agree. <laughs> um, it was getting late, and I didn't know this until the race started um, because they moved. Was it the compact race? Was supposed to be forty laps, and they moved it to thirty laps or thirty minutes, right? Because Nashville apparently has a seven p.m. curfew, which seems a little outrageous to me. But at the same time, I get it, right? Um, so they had to deal with that at the start of the pro late model race. What? What? I don't even know what time they started. It was like six fifteen or something like that. It was cutting it very close. It was very close. Um, I do know that the race did go past curfew by a few minutes yeah they barely got it in um i will say though you could tell it was a stressful situation for everybody everybody was pushing Um, hard from the get-go right but even prior to the race i mean people were trying to get the car staged on pit road we obviously had that issue where what we will (laughs) is that anywhere in here i didn't put it in okay so we can talk about that so this is funny i thought this was hilarious because during the uh compact race we're we're sitting in Dakota's living room. We're watching it, and you know whatever. I'm not even looking in this general direction. I don't even know how I, I saw don't know, it either. I don't know how Dakota saw it. I don't know why he saw it, but we're sitting there, and they're just kind of rolling around the track. And Dakota's like, "Hey, he's like <laughs> a compact just hit a late model on pit road," and I was like, "What?" And we couldn't rewind it or anything, but he's like, "Yeah, right there." He's like, "Now they're fighting about it." <laughs> it well, looked like. Lo and behold, here, you know, they have a late model hooked up to a tow truck because a compact hit it pulling off pit road. And that kind of brings up another discussion we we had amongst ourselves was, you know, I understand trying to get cars on the track fast, but they have the little inner oval at Nashville Fairgrounds. So I don't necessarily understand why the pro lates weren't staging. Did I say super late earlier? That it hit a super late. Was it a super late or a pro late? It was the pro late. Okay, hit a pro late. So if I said super late, sorry. But anyway, I don't know why the pro lates wouldn't stage inside the small oval, like exiting onto pit road. Mm -hmm. Because there's cars on the track that were using pit road. So to me, that just seems like an accident waiting to happen. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, when I went last year, of course, it's been a year, so I don't, I could not be remembering this correctly but i do remember the cars were staged in that area so Mm -hmm. uh the pros raced first last year they put them on pit road and they went out or whatever did their race and then the supers i believe just pulled off of that uh which track inside and i know for most of the night they had them parked there like Mm -hmm. off to the sides but they weren't staging there to get ready to go so and i don't know what that corner looks like coming off the track like i don't know what you can and can't see yeah i mean you have to understand too you know pro compacts they don't have spotters or anything so they don't have anybody talking to them about that plus a late model trying to peek out's got a little bit longer of a nose than a right you know so uh unfortunate to see that happen so anyway getting to the start of this race uh very stressful for the drivers i'm sure like we said everybody was kind of pushing hard from the beginning having to deal with curfew uh cody coffin was very dominant in the early stages of the race uh however there were several cautions that came out uh, good restarts, great battles on restarts between him and uh, second-place driver Cole Williams. Um, <clears throat> her final restart took place at about 6.45 with 25 laps to go, and and it appeared that the last flag would have ended the race. Cole Williams, who was running second... Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back on this. There was a restart beforehand. 
that Cole Williams got by Cody Coughlin in turn one for mm-hmm. the first lap. They made it around, and I could have swore they crossed the finish line before the caution came out, mm-hmm. which would have made him the leader. That's not the case. So, either I'm crazy, and they threw the caution before they, right before they made it back to the start finish, or I don't know. But uh, <clears throat> anyways, Cole knew that he didn't have a whole lot of time to get around Cody again. Uh, and Cody had kind of, so the restarts were kind of weird. Cody would kind of jump out to a lead and Cole being on the outside would dive down to the bottom. And then when Cody would slide up the track and turn one and two, Cole would try to make a move underneath him. Well, Cody kept cutting off his, like, you know, coming across his nose and, you know, Cole, I think Cole's a fairly clean racer. So Cole was trying to back off to not make contact. Um, Cole eventually got tired of it. He said something in his post-race interview. He's like, you know, I respect Cody, blah, 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 blah. He's like, but enough is enough. I've had enough. Right. So Cole did a little bump and run, uh, which gave Cole the lead. He would go on to win the race. Under the cool-down lap, you you know, Cody wasn't very happy. Uh, He did retaliate against Cole. And in his post-race interview, Cody said, basically he said, yeah, Cole's a loser. Mm-hmm. Um, he said can't beat me in his own car so he had to go buy someone else's mm-hmm. glad that's working out for him which seems very odd coming from someone like Cody Coffin uh, you know about somebody spending money yeah you know room. I, I don't want to say this is true but you know who his sponsor is it's his family right, right. so you know that in the in the pits I've heard it multiple times that this kid could go out tear up a car and have a new one built just from their warehouse in a matter of days so right. He's he has an unlimited budget, so for him to get mad at somebody else for spending money, yeah, that, that I don't know. But anyway, he did end up saying um, he was going to follow him to the next few races and junk him. Uh, so, not very good sportsmanship from Cody Coughlin. I don't want to cause you know any issues with anybody, um, but I <clears throat> I did subtweet somebody. I think it was Matt Weaver probably, and was like. <laughs> We know this, like we know, that, like look at Winchester, right? To see, you know, to watch him do what he did to win a championship. We know this. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to say Cody's not a good driver because I think he 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 is definitely capable of driving. I think there's just a lot of decisions that he makes inside the race car that don't show that. I agree. I think he's a great driver. He's obviously very dominant. It's just, um, I guess the sportsmanship is probably just not where it should be. Right. So, uh, anyway, coming up with the top five, uh, Cole Williams bringing home the win and the guitar. Happy for him on that. That was my pick to win the race. Uh, Cody Coughlin coming in second. Buddy Kofoid coming in third. Ran very strong all night. Uh, Super impressed to uh, see his run. Dylan Fecho and Bryson Schaefer rounding out the top five. Um, also, just some news not necessarily, not related to All-American 400 Weekend. As most of you short track fans know, or I guess racing fans in general know, that there's an ongoing tire shortage where, you know, they're having issues getting tires and stuff like that. So, due to that tire shortage, the Full Throttle 100 has been canceled 
Um, I've seen several races this year that had to be canceled due to tire shortage. shortage. So we hate to see that. Um, hopefully that that kind of is on the come up. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, this has been an issue that we've seen since last year. And, you know, with the tire shortage, uh, Stephen Nassie's made several <clears throat> uh, points to make that there was a race last year uh, where Hoosier kind of rushed production so the tires weren't able to be cured. Wasn't that Bristol? Yes. Thank you. So, you know, they had tires at Bristol at Short Track Nationals last year. and They, they had whole <clears throat> tire, like, in the middle of the corner, just completely falling off. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't help you have a bunch of idiots in the pits who were trying to stop it with their leg. Right. Um, I'm surprised no one left with some broken limbs. Or deceased, Yeah, honestly, because... We did see one put a pretty gnarly dent in a race hauler. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like you said, I, I obviously hope that, you know, this tire shortage is coming to an end sometime soon. Um, you definitely hate seeing races being canceled. Um, it's hard to find much of anything now, let alone tires. It seems right. like there's a shortage of everything. Right. Um, so, with that being said, I guess we'll move on to the NASCAR elimination races at Martinsville this past weekend. Let me start with this. Dakota and I are very firm believers in this, but we're going to say it again. NASCAR needs more short tracks. Bristol and Martinsville have... Bristol and Martinsville as a cutoff race in the playoffs was probably one of the best moves NASCAR could ever make. One of the best. One of the best. (laughs) Not very many. Um, Yeah, I mean... I wish NASCAR, I mean, this could hold, This could be a whole discussion of its own. You know, you always see the jokes on Twitter where it's like, you know, people tell NASCAR that we need more short tracks and they add like a dirt race or a road course or a road race, supposedly in the future. I really wish NASCAR would have a majority short track schedule, in my opinion, just because I think short tracks really do put on a good show, especially in a cutoff situation. That's where, a lot of drama, I yeah. think. And shit, you know, sorry, but they want to, you know, introduce racing to somebody who may not know anything about it or may not care for it. That drama, like that drama alone would, I guarantee you, would help out a lot. If, you know, that kind of leads into our discussion later, I guess. But if I had the opportunity, you know, to take someone to a race, their first race, I'm NASCAR is NASCAR. NASCAR, you know, I don't really know how to describe it. I personally actually have never been to a NASCAR race. I haven't either. Never. I want to go to a Bristol Night race. But, you know, I would much rather go to a local short track race than go watch, you know, I'll use a road course in it as an example even. Or like Phoenix. Right. Know, where they kind of... Some tracks, they get spread out, and there's there's like a 40-second gap between cars. And I'm just like, I would rather go watch a short track where someone is dealing with lap traffic the whole race. Like, it's not – there's never a time where they can just kind of relax behind the wheel. They're on edge the whole time. Right. No, I agree. And, you know, I want to – because we're going to kind of, like, tug, touch base on this later on in the episode. But – um you know, going back to the drama with NASCAR and like short track races specifically, you know, a lot of people were talking about the F1 success that they had at, uh, 
whatever. I think it was Coda. I don't remember. Don't quote me on that. But the big F1 race that competed with the NASCAR race. Um, Where was it? I don't know. I didn't watch it. You know, whatever. Like last weekend or the week before. Um, And a lot of people cited the F1 Netflix series as like a reason why you're seeing this increase in um, viewership. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. But off of that, I saw... I don't remember when I saw this on, I think it was Twitter, but it was a NASCAR Cup driver was talking about, you know, they, they you know, went on along the lines of how F1 has, like, a serious documentary about it. But then NASCAR has, <laughs> is it the crew? It was Chase Elliott. It was Chase. Wasn't yeah. It? Like, it, it kind of mocks NASCAR and, like, the background. And not, I don't want to say Makes mocks, it a joke. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't portray NASCAR as a serious entity. It shows it as, like, a... You know, Chase said, you know, it just shows us just turning left for fun. And that's not what it's about, Um, which is why I think, you know, and I hope that, you know, there are groups out there like maybe Speed 51 or uh, Racing America, you know, will be able to produce something like that and kind of show people a different side of NASCAR that we're not able to see, you know, the behind the scenes, you know, what our team's doing to prepare, how our drivers, you know, carrying themselves throughout a season especially if they're racing for a seat in the next season uh and then more short tracks with the drama i think would definitely help out nascar a lot there's definitely potential there just need someone with the resources to be able to do so to take advantage of it right um so with all that being said (laughs) i guess we'll jump into the truck race uh the truck race was obviously the first race on the schedule um todd gillen had a dominant race, winning the first two stages. Um, and then, you know, prior to the start of the final stage, it was announced that uh, Chandler Smith, Zane Smith, and Carson Hosovar uh, were deemed to be in must-win situations. Um, as the restart took place on lap 111, Zane Smith and Carson Hosovar led the field. Um, the caution flew on lap 131 as John Hunter Nemechek uh, was wrecked <clears throat> and his truck would not restart. I hate First, I'm going to start off with this. This race made me so mad. I think it was because I started watching at the wrong time. Like, I didn't watch it start to finish. There was this point in time where I started really focusing on it, and it was just caution, 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 caution. And then yeah. I saw, uh, who was it, Austin Wayne Self that mm-hmm. took out John Hunter, and there was, I don't know. It, I just hated to see that for John Hunter. Luckily, because I, I thought for sure after, after that wreck happened, I was like, he's done. Mm-hmm. But I was wrong. I definitely, I mean, it was it was very, very close. Uh, John Hunter definitely got very lucky because I think he was only four above the cutoff or something like that. It was very small margin. Um, so, uh, like Jarrett said, Austin Wayne Self turned John Hunter Nemechek as retaliation for uh, John Hunter <clears throat> driving into him and kind of he drove it in deep, I think, and, and kind of just got Austin Wayne Self out of the line. Um, so after that, he quickly fell in the point standings uh, and, like Jarrett said, potentially ending his championship run. Uh, it was very, very close. Uh, with 46 laps to go, Carson Hosovar jumped the restart and was penalized, uh, essentially ending his championship run. I wondered what. I saw he had a restart penalty and was sent to the back. I didn't know. I didn't know what it was for. Right. Um, 
and then the field restarts with 37 to go. Intensity starts getting high. Um, I was going to, you know, mention or, or build off what you were saying. I don't, I watched the race start to finish. Uh, de- definitely lackluster the first two stages. Um, it didn't, and then obviously all the cautions. I don't think the race was like at its peak until, uh, you know, 20 something laps to go for sure. Um, after several cautions, the race goes into overtime. Uh, Todd Gillen, Zane Smith, and Stuart Friesen uh, managed to run three wide before Stuart Friesen uh, turned Todd uh, in his attempt to win the race because he was also, I believe, in or he was like 10 points back from the cutoff. So he was uh, at that point in a must win situation as well. Um, both drivers did spin, uh, which allowed Zane Smith to take the lead. And ultimately win the race, uh, locking him into the championship four. And so your final four for the truck series is Zane Smith, Ben Rhodes, Matt Crafton, and John Hunter Nemechek, who got very, very lucky. Very lucky. I also want to add that running three wide at Martinsville is insanely impressive. Um, I could barely run by myself, let alone with two people on. Yeah, I was telling Dad that because, you know, he's like, this track doesn't look hard. And I'm like, it is It's hard, very difficult. Very hard to run Martinsville. Because, like, the, the fastest way around the track is to get your tires down by, like, the the curb, I guess. Mm-hmm. But if, if you hit it, it just sends you up the track. There's nothing you can do. So you have to be able to get down to the curb. You have to hug the curb through the turn and have good exit speed. And it's hard to... You know, sometimes you do one, but then so you can get down there and hug the curb, but by that time you're going too slow and your exit speed sucks. Right. Or, you know, you drive it in too hard and then you don't get down where you need to be. Or, you know, it's it's very tricky. It doesn't seem like it. It's a small, flat track, but there's so much to driving it. Right. That the average, you know, just someone who's like, oh, I'm going to watch a race today. They wouldn't get that. They're like, oh. How hard is it to hit a gas pedal, brake pedal, turn left? Right. And, you know, this is off topic a little bit, but I kind of feel like that's how Mount Lawn is. I think a lot of people underestimate it. Yeah. And oh. it's like watching it. Yeah, it looks easy. You know, you obviously got the short turn, so that's a bit of a challenge. But, you know, racing on it is a completely different story. I think Mount Lawn is very intimidating because there's lots of spots where you could wreck, where you could potentially wrap your car around a tree. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know that's a fair mean? point. I don't, I think what scares me in air quotes the most about Mount Lawn is that short turn. Um, I've put one car in it. Well, it's just so hard because, like, that's really the only spot you have to slow down a bunch on the track. Like, the big sweeping turn, you do have to slow down, but you carry so much speed coming up to the short turn, and then it's like a slow way down. Yeah. And then you got, you know, 20 cars in front of you. And so your breaking point's a little bit different, but yeah, right. it is. I love the track, though. I think it's very fun. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess while we're on that, you know, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Like, what you're looking forward to? Uh, we, we can do that later. We we might have to move that to a next week's episode. That way. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. I'll let you jump into the Xfinity. So for the Xfinity race, I really don't have a whole lot of information on it. Uh, Dakota and I were at a Halloween party, uh, playing some cornhole, drinking some bush light. I was dressed up as Jesus. We'll keep Dakota's costume <laughs> on the DL. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but 
Anyway, had a good time. We were out a little bit later than we wanted to be, and we came home, and we were like, oh, we'll just rewatch it. We didn't even make it 10 laps. I didn't make it 10 laps. I think I stopped taking notes uh, on lap, like, 180-something. I was just so tired. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't seem like it was anything, like, spectacular. I mean, it's obviously Martinsville, but I don't think there was too much to report on. Right. Um, basically, it comes down to Noah Gregson comes out as the winner. Um, and I want to talk about... You know, Dakota's brother, Hunter, texted us. He's like, Noah Gregson is a man of the people. <laughs> we were like, what are you talking about? I was like, it must, Noah must have won. And he was like, he did one of the coolest burnouts I've ever seen and then shotgunned a beer that a fan gave him. I was like, that's why we love Noah. Right. Uh, but, so, Noah does do some pretty gnarly burnouts. I saw when he won the Winchester 400, I remember. I still, I have a video of it somewhere. He gets out, and then he climbs the fence. You know, he does Noah Gregson things. Um, was Martinsville the track that he threw up at? Gosh, I don't remember. I don't know what track it is. But someone on Twitter posted a picture <laughs> of him throwing up <laughs> over the wall and then posted a picture of him showing a shotgun in the beer and was like, upgrades, people, upgrades. Right. Uh, but so your final four going into this Sunday – Noah Gregson, Austin Sendrick, Daniel Hemrick, and A.J. Allmendinger. Uh, I think that would be a good, you know, good final four. My pick there, I want to say, is Austin Sendrick, just because I feel like he's generally been dominant. I don't want to say dominant necessarily, but Mm -hmm. probably the best average finish out of all these guys. Consistent. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the trucks before you answer your Xfinity. Yeah, I was about to say, let's jump back to trucks real quick. Who do you have for this race or to win the championship? I want to say Matt Crafton or Ben Rhodes just because I have a friend that works for uh, that race team. Yeah, and they're very dominant. They so. are. I was kind of upset to see them switch from Ford to Toyota this year, but business is business. But I think I have to go with John Hunter Nemechek. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's just what it is. He's... I don't know. I that's just who my gut tells me to go with. I, He's a very dominant driver. I think who, all four of these guys could oh, for sure very well. Yeah. Um I think I'm gonna go with uh I, I can't pick one, but I'm definitely gonna go with Thor Motorsports. I think they're able to pull it off this year for sure. Well, I will be excited for them if they do, and I will one hundred percent be in contact with my friend if they do win a championship because I want to know what that's like for sure. Um, Maybe we could have him on sometime. I don't see why not, especially if he's planning on uh, racing at Mount Lawn this year. Yeah. Um, Xfinity, who you got? I'm going to have to go. I think any of them could obviously win. Uh, You know, AJ's had a pretty dominant year with uh, his team. Uh, You got Daniel Hemrick, Austin Sendrick. I think, think i'm gonna have to go with noah i think he's able to if if noah wins a championship <laughs> it's going to be the coolest social media is going to explode noah is going to go absolutely nuts and it's going to be the coolest thing i've ever seen yeah i i don't know i think i i'm going to put my money on him i think he will be able to pull it off i'm definitely looking forward to the xfinity race all right cup recap did you name your pick yeah i said cindric oh gotcha gotcha um Cup recap. Lots of drama in the cup race. 
I guess I shouldn't say lots, but more than we're used to, I guess. Um, so Kyle Larson obviously led the field to the green flag and kind of took off, did his thing for a little bit. Dominant as usual. Chase Elliott had a good car. Chase Elliott ended up winning, was it stage? He, he won stage one and two, I believe, because that's what locked him in. I thought stage one. Winning stage one locked him in. I don't, I don't know. know. Any, anyway, okay. <laughs> he won a stage. He ended up winning a stage, and it locked him into the he playoff He needed four. seven points. Yes, this, this is hilarious. So and he got ten. I, <laughs> so. so I saw on Twitter uh, Bob Pockress. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his last name. Anyway, uh, tweeted that Chase Elliott needed seven points to lock himself into the playoffs. Cool. So I go down, and I'm reading the replies. Don't ask why. I have no idea. The Lord just put it on my <laughs> mind to do so. He works in amazing ways. <laughs> <laughs> and so I scroll down, and I find this reply to this tweet that says, so if he wins the stage and gets 10, that's still okay, right? Or was it? I thought it was like, but he could still win the stage, right? Yeah, it was along <laughs> those lines. He's like, but he could still win the stage, right? And we're like... I just, like, put my face in my palm. I was just like, did you think about what you typed before you sent that? Now, if by the grace of God, somehow the person that tweeted that is listening to this, I'm sorry. God bless you. God bless you. (laughs) I am sorry. But that was, I couldn't not laugh at that. I tried to think, but nothing happens. But, uh, anyway, so I had a good laugh about that. Um... I do. Was it Brad that ended up spinning Chase? I believe so. Um, which Brad was just driving for his life. Can't blame him. He has one more race at Penske before he's well. That you know he's still trying to race into the championship four at this point. Chase is locked in. So right, you, you know, know you gotta you have to make those moves if you want to advance. And you know with him being in his last year at Penske, I'm sure he wanted to really just end on a good note. He, he had nothing to lose, right? Might as well just lay it all out on the line. I definitely thought he had it in the bag for a little bit. I thought, I was like, this is your race to win. Go do it. Uh, Alex Bowman and Danny Hamlin kind of took off in front of everybody. Brad was running, what, third? Was he running? I don't know. He was running up Him and Truex were kind of going back and forth. Uh, Kyle Busch was in the mix. Uh, So then Alex Bowman ended up spinning Danny Hamlin. Taking the lead and winning the race. Uh, let's see. Brad Keselowski almost dumped Kyle Busch. He did hit. Kyle Busch did hit the wall coming out of turn four on the last lap. Um, I don't know if I missed anything. Oh, the Josh Balicki and Quinn Hoff deal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where was it? Quinn got parked for five laps for retaliating right in front of a safety truck. Yeah. So literally all the way throughout the field, there was stuff going on. Yeah, uh, I I love it. Uh, it adds a lot of drama. You know, it's not just uh, these guys get in a car and then you know, oh, you're wrecked. Now he's done. Now, there was a lot of, you know, I'm not I'm done letting you do this type right. type of energy. Um, so after the race, Alex Bowman is at the start finish line and Denny Hamlin pulls up and he is very aggravated. It locks the tires up, smoking. 
And it eventually locks front bumpers with Alex Bowman. And I was like, oh, they're going to do a dueling burnout. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, but then he just kind of floors it and, you know, pushes Bowman back and flips him the double bird, I believe. And if anybody watches a video of it at some point, I don't know if it was a beer can, a water bottle, something. I believe comes, it was a beer can. Comes flying from the stands, like Peyton Manning accuracy. If there wasn't a windshield in the way, it was landing in Denny's lap. Probably would have hit him in the head. Good, great throw. <laughs> so props to whoever threw that. Uh, but uh, so then, Denny's words after the race was that Alex Bowman was a hack, and you know this and that. He did. I believe he did drop an f bomb on live television. At least a few. Um, you know, just talked about how he in and I quote gets his ass beat by his teammates every week. Um, just stuff like that. Uh, keep in mind, Bowman has more wins than Danny Hamlin this season. Um, now, I do want to point out that I saw on Twitter, Alex Bowman tweeted something about, you know, oh, so every time a driver wins a race, they get a sticker to put on their car. Mm-hmm. And the video was of Alex Bowman putting his new checkered flag sticker on his car. And he's like, oh, stickers are cool or something like that. But if you look to the on the left side of the video... The name on his car for Phoenix says Hack Bowman, and I think it's just the greatest thing ever. And they had like T-shirts out like hours oh, after, and they the are flag. like sold out. They're like, yeah. I think they were like negative two thousand something in inventory, like because people just kept buying them and buying them, and buying them. Yeah. Um, Kyle Busch had something to say about Brad trying to wreck him. He's like, he tried to pull a Harvick, you know, for what he had to win anyway. Um, lots of good rate. Uh, Good racing, you know, lots of drama, um, high energy, yeah. definitely. Um, so, it was a good, good race. I think it made a solid argument for short tracks, more short tracks in NASCAR. Uh, yeah, that I agree with 100%. Um, so, looking forward to Phoenix. Our, well, I was going to say our, our championship for this year is Kyle Larson. Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr., and Denny Hamlin. Hendrick Motorsports versus Joe Gibbs. Who are we taking? This, I was thinking about this last night and all of today. I really want to go with Chase Elliott. I'm a loyal Chase Elliott fan. But Kyle Larson has been so freaking dominant this year that it's hard. Like, I don't think anybody could be like, it's anybody else but him. So... As much as I want to go with Chase, I think Kyle Larson is going to pull it off. He's been very dominant. Uh, I don't know what the starting lineup is going to look like. It's supposed to look like. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen, seen anything. anything so, uh, But I guess my pick here is I have to go with Larson. Larson's just had too dominant of a season to not go with here. Um, I'm sure something's going to happen, and then the whole world's going to be like, oh, no, you know. Something's going to happen. If the, if the whole world goes, oh, no, I think that's very uh, – minor compared to what i think is going to happen if kyle larson does not win this championship well you know what i mean yeah i think it will be nascar twitter is going to throw a fit about how the playoffs suck or the point system sucks and there's no way that someone should be able to go win nine races this season and lead two thousand some laps and not win a championship yeah but i like chase but I think because of the situation, it's going to be Kyle Larson or Denny. And then in third, I'm going to put Chase Martin last. Yeah. Um, 
And I think the only reason Martin Truex is in it right now is because the race was at Martinsville, and Truex is very good at Martinsville. I think that's the only reason that he advanced instead of Kyle Busch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although, love to see that Kyle Busch isn't in the championship. Oh, I love to see it. I'm so <laughs> happy. Um, but, yeah, so my pick right now is Kyle Larson. Um, I think it's going to be a great battle. I just hope I hope it's good racing for the final race of the year. I was going to say, I think there might be some more drama carryover from Martinsville. And I think it's going to be good racing. Uh, but do you think it's going to be something between like Bowman and Denny? Or do you think it's going to be, cause like, I don't think any of these drivers have any beef with each other. Oh, well, Denny and Chase. Yes. I, I mean, they're both in the playoffs. I don't think Bowman would do anything to Wait, Denny. Why was, did I miss something? I totally missed something here because I was like, why was Denny all mad about Chase fans and stuff like that? Because the people that were booing him were supposedly Chase fans. It had to be. But there was a reason why he said it was Chase fans. Did Chase and him get together? I didn't think so. Did I forget something? I very well may have. But anyway. Oh, I don't know. <coughs> I think there might be something between those two, if anybody. Because um, I know that, obviously, Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott get along. Kyle Larson gets along very well with Denny Hamlin because Denny's let Kyle use... Denny's plane to get back and forth to races and stuff like that. So I think the only ones that aren't on, you know, friendship terms are Denny and Chase. Right. So I think that's all we have for NASCAR this week. I don't know what time Green Flag is on Sunday, but I will be watching. For sure. I think it'll be, like I said, good racing. I think there will be some drama and uh, look forward to it. Absolutely. So, next up, we're going to kind of talk about, this is kind of the main topic of our discussion this week, uh, asphalt short track racing, uh, the struggles it has, and kind of try to compare it to the success of dirt racing. Um, So, to kind of briefly explain why we wanted to have this discussion, after Winchester, we saw a video on Twitter via Matt Weaver um, it was an interview with Stephen Nassi, and he kind of gives his thoughts on Winchester and uh, short track racing in general. So I'm going to go ahead and play that, um, and then we'll kind of continue our discussion from that. So, um, you know, you have, a, you have a chance to wreck at any racetrack you go to. You know, I think this is probably my uh, fourth fourth Winchester here without without any real big problem. If you can keep your keep your car under you and, and be smart and not race people too hard at the, at the wrong time, you're you're pretty well off. You know, Hoosier's putting us at a disadvantage with, you know, the tires being a crapshoot. You don't know what you're going to get, but at the same time, you can just do your best to keep your fenders clean. The track ain't that bad. You know, the, the, this equipment's made to do stuff like this, so uh, I, I don't know why people don't come here and, you know, they, people need to wake up because short track race is going to die before we know it. You know, then you're gonna have everybody talking about how much they miss it, and uh, you know we, you got a few diehards out here like me, you know, trying to support it. But you know, just having the the next young rich kid coming through and just you know spending a year or two and then leaving, it definitely isn't helping helping at all. But um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, I, hopefully the Map TV deal, you know, maybe that puts some more light on it. I, mean, I don't know, you know, it's like super late model racing is in a tough spot, and I would love to see it change. You know, I'm a, I've been saying I'm a lifer, but. You can't can't keep going if, if the show isn't going anymore. You know they're, they're gonna have to close the doors soon because they gotta make money. So, 
that is Stephen Nassie's thoughts on short track racing, the where it stands, where you know his thoughts on the whole ordeal. Um, yeah, so you know, after that video was posted to Twitter, um, it kind of brought in some varying opinions. Um, one being from uh, Travis Braden. Uh, I was trying to find his comments. It's probably way back there. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so we all agree in short track racing that there's an issue. It's just a matter of where those where do those issues lie. We agree that there's an issue. We disagree. Not necessarily disagree, uh, but there's a kind of a gray area on what the issue is. Right. And I'm not going to say either side is right or wrong. They both, you know, I'm sure they're both right in their own way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> so. Yeah, so, uh, after seeing that video, we had talked about having a discussion on, on this matter. And so, we reached out to a few drivers um, and posed them some questions. So, I'll start with Kyle Frame. Uh, we reached out to Kyle. Kyle, if you don't know, is a Vors Compact Touring Series driver. So I know our focus in this discussion was kind of primarily on super late model racing uh, because, you know, the Vors Compact Touring Series has had 50 cars show up at the last two big races that they've had. So we just kind of wanted to get Kyle's view on things on, like, you know, maybe why his series, you know, obviously money is a big role here. But we wanted to kind of see... From his standpoint, where um, where Vore stood compared to super lates or dirt racing or anything of that nature. So Right. So this is what we had asked Kyle. Uh, we said, we wanted to get your perspective as a Vore's compact touring series driver as the series has been able to bring in a higher car count compared to super late models at both Winchester and Nashville. Do you believe the two series are doing anything differently that could affect the car counts? Do you have any suggestions on what the super late model series could do that they may not be doing now. Do you believe the success of the Vors Compact Turing Series could help the late model series? While costs are a big factor, do you believe there's a shift from late models being a premier race every week to compacts taking the top spot and late models becoming the smaller races? Do you have any suggestions on how asphalt racing could compete with the success of dirt racing? Um, Kyle got back with us pretty quick, so very thankful for that. Uh, and he said the following. Well, I'm not sure what the draw is for us as a series that provides a higher car count than other. Uh, sorry. Well, I'm not sure what the draw is for us as a series that provides a higher car count other than simply the cost of racing. Our series prides itself uh, on including everybody. It is very rare that a car is turned away from running with us unless the car or driver would be deemed unsafe to compete. Cost of racing is high, as many drivers and team know, teams know. I think the important thing that could help with car count is payout. And I don't mean to win exactly, because at the end of the day, only one guy wins. If a series could find a way to pay more throughout the field while still maintaining the winning purse, I think car counts could uh, would improve. And then he said, I think some things that dirt tracks are doing differently is simply promotion. It seems that the track themselves do more to promote drivers and series. While I'm on the asph- asphalt side of it, uh, it seems to be left up to the series and the drivers themselves, which already have enough on their plates. Uh, and then he said, compacts, compacts won't ever be a bigger show, so to speak, than a late model simply because of the nature of the car, unless tracks do their part to promote. I think all series of any type of car can bring money and fans as long as they're promoted properly. 
so that was Kyle's response uh, with the perspective from a smaller, not smaller, but you know, a lower series and super and prolate models. Um, so we also reached out to Travis Braden. If you don't know Travis, Travis drove super lates for a while. Um, uh, now I think he primarily is just involved in working on them. He's with, uh, what is it? BJ McLeod Motorsports with Travis Braden. Right. That's what they're called. Their short track team. So Travis does a lot. He focuses a lot on late models still, uh, but not necessarily as a driver. <clears throat> Uh, so we reach out to him, him and his girlfriend, Jess Ballard, are big advocates of short track racing, but, um, they kind of stand. So this is where we kind of get into the, we agree there's an issue, but what is the issue? So Stephen Nassie and Travis Braden stand on kind of opposite sides of this. So as you recall from the video, Nassie kind of talks about, he doesn't necessarily bring up a money situation. He talks about how people are afraid to tear up their cars. And he's like, you know, that if you drive it, if you drive in a respectful manner, you'll be okay. Like if you as a driver are very knowledgeable and I guess mature as a driver, you, you know, time your moves. Don't push too hard too soon. Know when to push, know when not to push. Uh, certain things like that. So <clears throat> we reach out to Travis and uh, this was one of the people who we had we pushed this episode back because uh, he was open to giving us input, but being busy with Nashville, he was unable to do so before last week's episode. So we asked um, five questions to him. Number one being, regarding Winchester, why do you think the car count is not competing with other races such as the Snowball Derby? The second question was, do you believe payout is the big factor for low car counts, or do you believe there are other factors that are not being addressed? Do you believe tracks could offer better experiences for fans? And if so, what are some suggestions you would make? <clears throat> Excuse me. Comparing asphalt racing to dirt racing, do you have any suggestions on how our sport can bridge the gap and better compete with the success of dirt racing? And lastly, overall, what do you believe needs to happen for asphalt short track racing or super late model racing to overcome these challenges and avoid dying off entirely? Uh, so he was able to get back with us a couple days ago. <clears throat> Uh, to answer our first question, he said, I don't think there is any specific reason besides the natural emphasis on different races over time. I think races gain and lose popularity in cycles. Right now, everyone goes to the Derby, and Nashville has gained a lot of popularity due to the improved promotion, the NASCAR buzz, and the city itself's popularity. Plus, I do feel like Winchester is kind of geographically challenged, which I agree, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Right. Uh, it's hard to find funding to do them all, and so right now, those are the hot two. Other regions, like Midwest, West Coast, have their own big races, which is nothing new. Uh, The second question, he said, I think payout increases would improve car counts, but I think the reasons I addressed above are the primary reasons. The cost to go race is a tenfold higher than a starting pay at any big event, so you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in purse size before before it truly makes a difference, which is probably why purses have shrunk, because everyone realizes that regardless of the purse size, there are cars that will come. Um, number three, he said, yes, this is my number one focal point when I discuss this subject. I think there are two parts of this first, uh, two parts of this first basic amendment, uh, and comfort. And second things that would liven up the party. The first part is pretty simple and extremely aggravating. The facilities have got to start investing in at least the basic amenities, bathrooms, grandstands that aren't falling apart, 
uh, etc. For example, in my opinion, there is no reason an event should expect to get a large turnout if they only have a two-stall bathroom that's falling down with toilets that hardly flush, filthy, and toiletries that are not promptly replenished. Adding a few porter johns is not acceptable. I refer people to look at Berlin Raceway if they need some examples. The next part is just as important, but I do feel the investment should go into the basic amenities first. People won't come back if they're not comfortable. They will if they are. And in this category, I'm talking about utilities, uh, the space that is available to create fun experiences. No one wants to just come to a short track and sit in one place for six hours, watching a handful of races with long delays in between. There should be a place to kill time and still be entertained. Again, Berlin Raceway is a great example. They have multiple areas for this. Example, a bar, a front stretch, party plaza, area, and food and snack vendors. All of these are profit-positive investments, so I am a firm believer that if you aren't working on improvements like these, it's just a lack of effort or willingness to invest profits back into the business. The list goes on, but these are some very simple and easy examples. The fourth question. He said, this is a tough one just because we're so far behind. I think most of the dirt tours are closer to NASCAR in terms of their business models than they are pavement short track racing. The dirt tours are big companies, and they run like such. With professional digital media campaigns, marketing, sponsorship, leadership teams, etc. At this point, without major financial investments from the leadership in the pavement world, I just don't see it happening on its own anytime soon. You can't build enough uh, intrigue in-club style racing to generate revenue like that, in my opinion. And last, he said, I think right now our best bet is to embrace what the RTA and Racing America could bring to the table. They are starting to obtain many of the resources that would be needed to overcome the challenges I see. They are building leverage to help us go from analog to digital. I fortunately, uh, that is just as much a literal statement as a figurative statement. Um, There's a lot that could be said about this subject, but I think it will be easier to start with step one, and that is getting everyone on board and working together with each other with the RTA. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone makes good points. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, I, I we've talked about this outside of this is, you know, where does the responsibility fall? Is it the series? Is it the track promoters? Is it, you know, do drivers have some responsibility in, you know, promoting? But like Kyle Frame said, you know, drivers and series have enough on their plates as it is. Um, so I certainly think that there's not a lot of promotion going on to really advertise the tracks, let alone these big races. Um, obviously, besides Snowball Derby, and the All American Four Hundred, um, you know, I, I mean, I think Winchester was promoted pretty well, but I think there's a lot of opportunity that they didn't take. I guess. Yes, um, I think that getting it aired on TV was a great idea, but if the numbers I was hearing for it costing to do so are true, that's outrageous. Yeah. Think of that many being put into a purse. How many cars you could have got to show up? Like they offered fifty grand to win. If they got 50 cars showed up. But, like a lot of drivers say, only one guy wins. Right. So, what about, you know, you got to pay people to start a race. Right. And, you know. So, they don't just drive all that way for nothing. Sorry to interrupt. No, you no, you're good. I was going to say, I was trying to look on uh, Cody Connor's Twitter because I thought he made that point too. But I know Travis made that point after Winchester. I believe Cody made that same point that if they're not paying, you know, people, you know, second to fifth, fifth to 10th whatever you know a a decent starting pay nobody's going to invest all that money to go 
and race, you know, of uh, not, not only a 400 lap race, but they have to be there all three days of the week uh, of that race weekend. It has to be, there has to be somewhat of a reward for simply showing up to a race where, I, I, especially a race like Winchester, where if you wreck, you're basically rebuilding a car. Right. So, like, either way there, I think you're out of money, which is why I think Travis brings up, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars before it is really relevant. Mm-hmm. But, you know, paying one guy double the amount what you were originally going to pay doesn't help the rest of the field. You know, right. There's still people that show up and flip a late model in turn two and, okay, now what? Right. I got paid a hundred dollars to start this race i don't know that that was just a number that i threw out that wasn't right um but one of my best friends he is more on the dirt side of things he's not a driver but he is friends with a driver and he is friends with i don't track owner track promoter i don't know of uh tri-state speedway in hopstad indiana um so him and i were kind of having this discussion and we're he said a he a usac race Pays like five hundred to start, and like five thousand to win on average. The thing about a dirt car is that it's in air quotes cheap. The engine is fifty k, but the rest of the car is minimalistic. It's another fifty k to build the rest. So that's a hundred thousand dollars, right? He said. Now in regards to an outlaw car, it's different. So one of his buddies races for a team, and they spent a million dollars on one wing car that they got. And so he said, oh, okay. He said, this is his exact text to me. So, knowing a track owner, I know how most tracks make the purse. The purse is made up for purely driver and team, made up from, for, I don't know, driver and team entry fees. That's why big races usually have like three support classes. The track pays for the sanctioning body to get the race there off of attendance and concessions. So the track owner at his track, I don't know if this, I'm going to say this applies to this track only because I don't know how other tracks operate. He said, has to pay the World of Outlaws 50 grand just to show up. Then has to get enough people there and enough racers there to make the $10,000 purse. So before the race even starts, he has to come up with some 60 grand. Well, if you go to a super late, a four hundred lap super late model race, and you're only offering twenty grand to win, right? You know, I see, <laughs> I, I see where the big issue is, right? But that brings up the question of where does that money come from? How, you know, goes back to your question: where does that fall? Where does the, you know, where does the blame fall? Not necessarily blame, but no, more of the responsibility but, yeah, of yeah, yeah. who needs to step up and say, okay, this is what we need to do. And, you know, I was thinking about this when I was uh, last week after we had gotten done with the last episode. I was like, what I think needs to happen is short track in NASCAR. I mean, it goes the same for everyone. I think the series needs to get with drivers and track promoters and owners and maybe even like make like a council of, you know, fans to all sit in a meeting or meetings and discuss, you know, what can we do for fans to bring more fans in? What does the series need to do to potentially bring more sponsors on to help pay out? What do track promoters and owners need to do? And what can the drivers do? Now, I do kind of want to go back on something Nassie said, though, uh, in his interview with on Matt's Twitter. 
He said something about you have the next rich kid coming up, spends a year, and then moves on. I think that, you know, it compares to college sports. Mm-hmm. You have these super crazy athletes that come in and play one year at college so they can go pro. I don't blame them. They're just going to play sports and get paid millions of dollars. I don't blame them at all. But overall, it hurts the you know it hurts the team. You know the team they get super hyped up because they you know oh we have the number one prospect in the nation and oh he's there for a year now what we suck now right no I don't want to say we suck now but you know what I mean so like but it's not helping it's not helping racing when you have these rich kids that come in oh spend spend money for a year and then it's like oh I'm going to NASCAR see you fools later right you know, and it's people that could potentially like Steven Nassi has a huge following. Um, and you see how active he is in the sport. We need more people like that that can bring in a large amount of people that would want to watch the race and, and support these drivers and ultimately support these tracks and, and these series. I just want to give a shout-out to Jess Ballard because I've seen – she's talked about this before, and I 100% agree with this, that as far as on the marketing side, they need to get some younger person in there that, you know – the social media influence in today's age is massive. Right. So you need to get someone in there who knows what they're doing uh, that can really take advantage of social media and use it to its max potential to promote races. Um, you know, um, I also think it would help. I saw something the other day on Twitter, I believe, that was about um, drivers selling merch and how Stephen Nassie is one of the better executors of doing so. Now, obviously, that helps having a following like Stephen Nassie does. So some random driver can't just go out and sell merch and people you know, have tons of people buy it. But right. that also comes into, I think, social media. Now, social media can also get you in trouble. We've seen that. Uh, but if you do it properly, you can explode. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I did pull up the the purse for the Winchester 400. Um to kind of go back on the point that Travis and Cody Connor made um, about how much it costs to run these teams. And obviously they don't have unlimited funds. Um, And we know how much these cars cost to build. We know how much it costs to travel. We know how much tires and fuel is. And, you know, I heard when we were at Winchester prior to the start of the 400, you know, I heard people saying, well, teams have to have this amount of tires and they have to buy at least this much fuel. So, it starts to rack up. Um, the purse this year was twenty five to the winner, twenty five thousand, twelve thousand for second, ten thousand for third, uh, and then it decreased by a thousand dollars up till tenth. So t- if you finished tenth, you brought home two thousand dollars. Winning, that's how much you you know you got for finishing that position. Obviously, that's not how much you're bringing home when you've spent twenty thousand dollars to run. What was it to start? Um, Is there a number on there for that? I don't remember. Hold on. Because I think it. if the wrong person hears this, they're going to call me an idiot because I don't know if this is a realistic number or if it's too low. I have no idea. But I think it should be at least 1500 to start. Please hold. hold it, it was It was something, but I don't... I think... You have to have a significant, like $2,000 for 10th is not much. Well, it says here that members, it was 250 all eight 
entries add 50. So between 250 and 300 to start, I believe. That's it? I believe so. So I mean, it says on the entry form, advanced deadline September 27th, members advanced is 250, all eight entries add $50. Non-members add $50. So that's less than $500 to start a race that... Pays nothing. Holy crap. If you finish. And I was going to say, I'm pretty sure it was co- it was Cody Connor who had said something about, you know, before they go to these races, sorry, before they go to these races, they do the math to see how much are they going to be spending and what are they going to be, you know. Potentially bringing home. And he said something like third on back. Um, and it's just not worth it. So, I mean. Especially for small teams like him. I mean, you have. Who have very limited. uh resources and you know funding so i mean obviously payout in the spreading of the purse is a big issue but it goes back to you know who needs to step up and say okay this is what we're doing now is not working what do we have to do to bring you know more business partners on to increase the funding um i think uh travis made a good point about you know the dirt series board of outlaws for example runs a business model Mm -hmm. and you know i don't know much about the cra series obviously i don't run with them but it seems like it's more of a uh i think travis also said it was like a club type of thing like it's if you have money you run in it if you don't you're sol right uh but it's a matter of are people who are in charge willing to make those changes and are they really willing to help the sport that they're invested in. I think the leadership is definitely there to do so. And if it's not, there are people, I know there are people that are willing to step up to do so. They're just not in the correct position. You know what I mean? Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, so I definitely think it's something that's doable. I would hundred percent think it's something that's doable for sure. I just think it'd take a lot of willingness and a lot of work to, a lot of teamwork at that. Like, it's not going to just be one person makes this big change for an entire series or an entire, you know, I guess series for series. In this term. case. But, yes. But, I mean, you know, not to cut you off, sorry, but I wanted to, refer, like, revert back to Mount Lawn, you know, that we brought two new promoters on. Look how much drastically the track was changed, and, you know, they brought in a whole ass grandstand for you know the pits and don't get me wrong there was definitely a lot of a disagreements along the way for sure but you're gonna have that <clears throat> right but i'm just saying overall overall the track came out better for it yeah aesthetically you know um, i feel like especially as this season specifically went on the racing i don't got better i, I don't know so mount lawn had a very bad habit because we race on sunday nights to not have to compete with other tracks uh, locally, but they have had an issue with we'd be racing until 11 o'clock on Sunday nights. Yeah. And everybody's like, that's just, that's got to stop. Well, they sped up the program so much that there were nights we were out of there by 9 o'clock. So, I mean, just little things like that. Right. Little things add up. I so, guess my point was if you can, uh, if a little track like Mount Lawn can do it. Can do it in a pretty quick turn. Obviously, a, a, a touring series is going to take time, but I think I think the opportunities are there to, to better the series, better the sport. And, you know, going off of 
all American 400 weekend, you know, we saw hype motorsports, you know, uh, doing pre-race shows, you know, stuff like that. I think that would help out a lot too, getting, you know, the <laughs> media exposure, stuff like that. So the behind the scenes, I think is a huge deal. Yeah. Um, for me anyway, for people that are generally interested in racing, if you are simply there to watch cars, you know, cause at a young age specifically, I remember I watched racing just so I could watch people wreck. Yeah. Not now, but, um, you know, if you're out of that stage, like if you're generally interested in racing behind the scenes, footage, info, anything you can get about like what's going on in the pits that sitting in the stands, you don't get to see, I think it's huge. Mm-hmm. It makes fans feel more involved. They learn things, you know, um, again, it, so. well, well, I think if they have the behind the scenes, I think they're more willing to look at it and be like, oh, so this is what it's about. Right. And it goes back to fan experience. You know, what are tracks doing um, to to really entice the experience? You know, Travis uh, mentioned Berlin and how, you know, they have, you know, several bar locations at the track. They have, you know, a party plaza, uh, stuff like that. You know, what is Winchester doing? What are they offering for fans other than... Winchester has you know, the foundation they need. They just have to... They don't execute on it. Right. But it's like that, you know, what can, you know, Mount Lawn do? What can, you know, any track that a series visits, they should be offering something. I think the issue with a lot of tracks, now, I could be 100% wrong here, but I think the issue is, is the way that they've done things at, you know, they don't, they haven't changed the way they've done things. Because at one point in time, that worked. Right. But it doesn't work now, and they don't, they haven't changed to... They haven't adjust. adopted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like teaching an old dog new tricks, I guess. But I also, I want to, I would love to know what the conversations have been like to try to get like SRX at Winchester or stuff like that. Because, you know, to get a bigger sanctioned series or potentially get NASCAR, even trucks or something there, you know what I mean? There's money somewhere. Right. To get the track where it needs to be for another thing. Get Winchester on iRacing. <laughs> yeah. That's just my opinion, though. But I just think, obviously, money doesn't grow on trees. I don't have the money to do it. I wish I did. I would 100%. Here's my money. Right. But I wish I had all the answers. I don't. I know there's plenty of people out there that if they put their heads together would have all of the right answers. And, you know, short track racing would potentially be back up where it used to be. I would love to see that, especially being my young age. You know, my grandparents always talk about when I go to the racetrack with my grandpa and my step-grandpa. They're like, oh, yeah, we used to come back here back in the day, and it was wild, and blah, blah, blah. And it's just not like that Well, I mean, like, even my dad, you know, grew up going to that track, and, you know, he's in his late 40s, and he always talked about how great the racing was and how exciting the atmosphere was, and now it's just, it's, asphalt short track racing has been dying off. I hate saying that, but look at all these tracks that are closing down, right? And Stephen Nassi, this is why I agree with him on a lot of things. You know, he's like, if we don't act now, Winchester could be, you know, the next track to close. And then, you know, what about 
Nashville Fairgrounds. You know, it's it could be at risk, especially after it's just gone through all the stuff to get back up and going. Right. So you know, we have to do something now instead of continuing to push it off. And now, I'm not saying there are no efforts being made. I'm not implying that whatsoever. Uh, yeah, because yeah. Winchester has made an effort to get more races out at the track each year. Like there used to be like two, three, and they're getting up there. Right. It's not a track that's raced every weekend, but I just think they need. It's not. Necess- they're not necessarily looking at the bigger picture. I, again, I'm not in their shoes. I don't know. I don't know what's what they have going on. I don't know what their business model looks like per se. I I have no idea. I'm just an outsider giving my opinion that no one really cares about. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say I don't. I don't want to come off like I'm criticizing anybody because, like you said, I'm not in their shoes. I don't know what the hell goes on behind the scenes. I'm just giving my perspective as an outsider, as a race fan. And uh, I had another point to make, but I forgot. <laughs> uh, but I did want to say I'm not – I don't want to come off like I'm criticizing anybody because, hell, I don't know what to do. Right. You know? Um, but I hope things turn around and, and you know, people, like Steven said, you know, put – more attention to it and, and really try to come up with solutions rather than continuing to it's, you know, this is working, but it's, it's really not, you know? Right. So again, I think if enough people come together that want to make the change, it could happen. But again, money is a resource that a lot of people don't have. Right. Or don't have enough of. Um, but anyway, that's kind of all I have on this topic. I do want to say thank you to those that responded to us. Yeah. Um, it means a lot that you took time out of your day to answer us. Uh, I know you didn't have to do that, but we enjoy hearing from you know, racers, people involved uh, more in depth than we are. Um, <clears throat> just hearing different opinions about the same topic, you know, they all want the same goal, but just ha- a matter ha- of how we get there. Right. Um, but we do really appreciate it. We hope you know that. And uh, I, I, especially Travis, because he, you know, I was like, the short track world is thankful, you know, is fortunate to have you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, if you guys need anything, let me know. Yeah, but I mean, I mean I'm mean, i certainly thankful for people like Steven and, and Travis and Jess who are really, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, friend of the show, Kyle Frame and, and Cody Connor. I think they're all doing work in their own ways, but to have people like that who are so outspoken and trying to provide solutions uh, on how we can get asphalt short track racing turned around and be able to close those gaps with the dirt side of things. um, It's very important. And as a race fan and as a short track driver, I am certainly thankful for their work. So absolutely. Well, I don't have anything else to add. Do you want to mention something about the candles? Uh, yeah, so we partnered with one of my friends, uh, Taylor, uh, who her business is at the Creation Barn on Facebook. Um, she was uh, working with us to kind of make some, like, Christmas gifts, uh, candles, uh, wax melts, stuff like that. Not your typical since right uh so uh we were going to offer uh burnt rubber race fuel uh high octane and motor oil uh i did talk to her last night so sorry i didn't tell you this now this is live um 
I told her I think we should hold off on the candles and do uh, car scents, so like the car fresheners. And so our goal now is to do those. So we're going to do ones that look like checkered flags that will have those scents. And then I want to do customizable ones. So like, for example, I was thinking, you know, Cody Connor could send us a picture of his car and we could put it on a car freshener and stuff like that. So uh, really a lot of people to customize it. So if they want to do like a picture of their car, they can do that or you know, maybe like their number with their name, something like that. So, uh, that's what we're doing now. But, uh, I did tell her we could still sell the candles if, if anybody's interested. So, uh, I will, uh, definitely, uh, share her page on our, uh, on our Facebook page and, uh, you guys can go ahead and pre-order those, any of those, if you want, um, and share with your friends and family. I think, you know, a lot of racing pages, a lot of people talk about it, but it's hard to like get it out there because the rules are no self-promotion. So I'm trying to find a way, like a loophole around that. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm definitely getting a couple made. Uh, they don't smell too bad. Well, yeah, they smell pretty good. So uh, I definitely miss the smells of the racetrack during the soft season. So it'll it's painful. It'll uh, hold me over till then. Uh, I have two things. Uh, first thing is about... Force Compact 20 Series driver Kyle Frame. Uh, it was announced on Twitter today. It was on Facebook the other day or something like that. Kyle and his race car will be at PRI this year. I am sad because we will not be there. But anyway, if uh, any of our listeners happen to be going to PRI this year, and uh, be sure to find Kyle and say what's up, talk to him. Really cool dude. Take a look at his car. Um, all that stuff. Uh, second, as of today, I have registered. I don't know if my application has been accepted, but I'm going to go ahead and speak as if it has. I have registered for the uh, online All-American 400. Um, that race will be actually 400 laps at Nashville in a super late model next Saturday if I make the feature, uh, Friday night is qualifying the top 16 from qualifying advance two heat races, top six advance from that. And I believe six from the last chance race, uh, advance into the big show on Saturday. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully I get in and, uh, I don't have broadcast information yet. I should have that by next episode. So I will be sure to share that update with you on the next episode um, as well as possibly post it to our Facebook page. We will. I'll at least post it to my personal. Um, but uh, anyway, so that's all I have. Dakota, do you have anything else? Uh, I did want to congratulate Kyle for being invited to PRI and, and be able to, do, you know, have his car on display and, and be able to talk to race fans and, you know, people involved in motorsports. I, I'm sure that's a big deal for him. So we're really happy for him. Uh, wish we could be there to talk to him. I would love to talk to him in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems like a really cool guy. Um, and then I will just congratulate you for. Uh, I think <laughs> don't, you'll don't do- congratulate me yet. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not 100 in. I gotta wait for the email com- confirmation. I'm sure, I'm sure you'll. I'm sure you'll be registered. So 400 lap uh, fixed setup. Fixed setup. So I'm happy about that one. Uh, super late model race at Nashville. So hopefully we can get out there and make a name. Not necessarily make a name for ourselves, but do well. Yeah, so. I have uh, no worries about that. So um, I guess with all that being said, that wraps up episode four. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh. 
oh, oh, <laughs> do not end yet. Okay. Uh, we have hit over 100 likes on our Facebook page. We did, yeah. That's big news. Very uh, big. may not seem big to you, big to us. Uh, so we just want to thank each and every one of you for that. Um, I guess we're shooting for 200 next. That's Shoot. our next goal. 200, 150, 200, I don't know. I don't know. But please, please, please share with friends, family, race fans, uh, anybody really. Uh, mm-hmm. We appreciate it. Um, we're thankful for each and every one of our supporters, viewers, um, and we hope you continue to do so. Yeah, and as I say each week, um, we're only going to get better. We're still learning, but we got a, we got a lot of good stuff planned uh, for our future, so hopefully we're able to uh, share all that with you. So um, as Jarrett said, thank you so much. We greatly appreciate it.